0: This episode is brought to you by Affordable Drill Towers. Founded in 2016 by our good friend, Steve Sanguidoce, a retired Houston, Texas firefighter, the Affordable Drill Tower was designed and built with functionality and versatility in mind for any training ground. As a standalone training tower, an add-on to an existing burn building or connex setup, the Affordable Drill Tower packs a massive punch at an affordable price tag. With over 50 towers across the country, From Massachusetts to California, Montana to Texas, professionally engineered, NFPA and ISO compliant, the Affordable Drill Towers brings the versatility to your training ground. From Main Street USA, the small town fire company in their back parking lot to the training grounds of the largest metropolitan fire academy, the Affordable Drill Tower fits the bill for price and functionality. Check them out at affordabledrilltowers.com. And two things I like to talk about also when talking about our friends over at Affordable Drill Towers. One, their customized training program. They have the ability to bring some of the best talent from across the country to your home turf after the install of the Affordable Drill Tower. Designing a customized training program for you and your department, Steve will facilitate some of the biggest and brightest names of the American fire service to come in and work with you and your department. And secondly, and I think most important, is Steve's belief in need over greed. The affordable drill tower company gives back to not-for-profits that support organizations in the American Fire Service, organizations such as the Joey D. Foundation, which is near and dear to Steve Sanguidoce's heart, as well as many other not-for-profits that he takes a part of. He takes great pride in providing funding for organizations that push this job So check them out, Steve and Dennis over at Affordable Drill Towers. Send them an email at info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Check them out on social media. And their YouTube page is kicking butt with great information, training nuggets, and information about their towers. So check them out, Affordable Drill Towers. And let them know Jeremy over at National Fire Radio sent you. This episode's brought to you by Ridgeway Leatherworks. Ridgeway Leatherworks is a firefighter-owned and operated business as well as a family-run business, and that's what I love about it. Rob and his family are passionate about their customer service and the quality product and craftsmanship they put out for the emergency services. Rob's been on the show. We've been to his his business. We've seen them in action. I've even tried to hand-paint radio straps. I promise you it is not as easy as what the final outcome looks like. The product is so good and so clean and crisp, and yet, man, it takes that steady hand. Rob's become a near and dear friend of our podcast, and you hear that over and over when we talk about our sponsors, that they're friends, supporters, and that's what this networking is all about, is supporting one another. Ridgeway Leatherworks, Rob Meyer, crushing it. Quality and craftsmanship is number one. Customer service is right there with it. From custom radio straps, universal radio holsters, chin straps, flashlight holders, anti-sway straps, and locker tags made out of leather. There's plenty of opportunity along the way when you deal with Ridgeway Leatherworks. So check them out at RidgewayLeatherworks.com. Find them on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And tell Rob you heard about him on the National Fire Radio platform and give him a little pluck and tell him keep up the good work we need to support our firefighter-owned businesses and especially family-run businesses where his two daughters and his wife help out day in and day out along with his other employees so again Ridgeway Leatherworks check him out at RidgewayLeatherworks.com and find him on all your social media channels we're good there Hey, everyone, Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast after our July break. First episode back in August. Chief Jeremy Lamy from the Mobile Fire Rescue Department, of Alabama. Chief, thank you for joining me on the podcast this morning.
1: I appreciate you having me. Looking forward to it. This is cool.
0: A uh, little background before we get into your bio and, and who you are and how you got to where you are today. Um, I want to talk about this right here. If I can hold it up and show everyone. The book that I have in front of me, Extreme Ownership by uh, Jocko. A lot of people are familiar with it. I'm not the most read individual in the fire service. I talk about it all the time. I don't have the time or patience to read, but I love audiobooks. I love, um, I do love books. I just have a hard time getting into them. Um, rewind a little bit. I'm down in Fairhope, Alabama with Anthony Rowett from Port City and a bunch of guys. We're doing a conference down there. The last day there before our flight, uh, myself, Mickey Farrell, and Anthony. Uh, Anthony took us down to, to the mobile firehouses, showed us around a little bit before our flights and we were just buffing around. We caught a job, which was nice, caught a first due fire, which was pretty good. Um, and then we walked into the chief's office to say hello. Um, and uh, chief, we had met you and uh, looking around, there's tremendous history that goes into the mobile fire department. And I want to talk about that a little bit as well. But what struck me right away, one was your, your openness uh, stood up, shook our hands, welcomed us. Um, Asked what our, you know, thoughts were about the department, what we were seeing, what we were doing, making sure Anthony was doing a good job hosting us around. But then what really struck me was you had stacks of books in your office and and multiples of the same. Uh, And the one book, Extreme Ownership, which I've heard about for so often, you probably had 15, 20 copies on a lower shelf um, in your office. And I asked you about that. Um, and what was really cool was the response. And you said it's a, it was an important book to you, and you like to give those books out to those that. And I don't want to ruin the story, but to those that promote or people that you find to be moving up into a, a leadership or responsibility role, that is one way that you like to personalize your approach to their new position or their newfound love of leadership.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah, it's it's a great book, and if, when I read it, somebody had given it to me when I read it. I just felt like it was so applicable to the fire service. And and they talk about that in the book. You can apply it to anything. But the problem is really, I mean, we can't be successful unless unless the company officers in this organization take ownership in everything that they do. Um, they drive every single thing, uh, morale, training, um, encouragement, development, motivation. All of that is controlled at the company officer level. And so that book is just a, a series of stories that give you examples of how leaders have implemented that in their organizations. And to me, it's just... It's just a great starting point if somebody really wants to learn how to lead. Um, it begins with owning that position and owning all the responsibility that comes with that.
0: And I, what I like about that, too, the other side of ownership also is you're owning the fact that you want to be a part of these people's upbringing, their their ability to promote and be better leaders. And you take ownership of that. You take ownership of your people, right? As, as the chief of a department, I mean, it's a large department, almost 500 uniform personnel, I believe. Uh, sure. it's the city of mobile alabama it's not a small department um and so you're pulled in so many different ways and yet the dedication you have back to your leaders the people under you and then obviously the the boots on the ground that are getting that job done day in and day out it's important to you you buy into them no
1: yeah no absolutely and i and i think look i think we certainly always you can do a better job but we don't get it right every single day um, but the point is is we're trying to make a good emphasis on it We're we're trying to start by you know, developing them um, and trying to invest in them. We've, we've come up with things like a professional development guide, which we've tried to help um, officers as they promote up through, or any really anybody, drivers, engineers, uh, captains, chiefs. We have a series of classes that we want them to take, and it's really just to start to expose them to things. But, yeah, I mean, absolutely, if we're not going to support them as, a, as an organization, then they're not going to be very successful. And so really what we want is that open door to where, uh, we can communicate with them. And, and really, I like to get out and try to talk to these captains in the stations uh, as much as you can or on scenes or wherever, and just to be able to get a good pulse of what they're thinking and what they're feeling.
0: Yeah, it speaks volumes. Absolutely. So I want to ask how much of that came with you along the way. I mean, let's get into your background just a little bit here. Uh, second generation fireman born and raised in Mobile. So I have to think that having that foundation from which the, the community that you now still serve has to be important to you.
1: Yeah. My dad was on this department and not only Hmm. my second generation. I mean, he was a captain on the mobile fire rescue department and and that's what he retired as after 30 plus years of service. And so since I was about four years old, I've been in the fire stations here in mobile. And yeah, I think that to me that gave me a tremendous amount of passion for this place at an early age. And I think that that's never gone away. And sometimes I think that I can almost be too close to it, if that makes sense Um, because I do care, care so much. I've been around it so much. I take a lot of it personal when, um, but you know, it, it's a it's a great place, and certainly my dad being on here has been a was a tremendous influence to me, and I can certainly have seen the shift. I think what the perspective has given me and has helped me as a chief, especially as a, a younger guy that's promoted to chief. Is mm-hmm. my dad? I have a lot of respect for the senior men and women on the department because that was my dad, right? And so I, by that, and my being growing up in there, I knew a lot of the guys that have been on a very long time, and that's who my dad was friends with or engaged with, and so I have a tremendous amount of respect. For the people that have been on and all that experience that they have. And it's certainly needed, and we, we need to capture all that and take advantage of them while they're still here. But also, um, get the younger generation, you know, for the most part. I've been, I've been there around them, and, and I, you know, I, I was born at a time where I'm kind of considered some of that generation. So um, it's been an interesting dynamic, but it's certainly, I think, helped get a better perspective on, on the two differences there and the two sides and how, can, how we can relate to both of them
0: such a common topic in the fire service nowadays is the young versus old. Right. And, and I find that, you know, you were, uh, if I have it correct, uh, hired in 2002, you became chief in August of 2020. So you're coming up on your third year as chief, Mm -hmm. um, in just a few weeks, you are younger to the fire service. A lot of chief of departments typically rock a lot more white hair than you do. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, you, you have a youthful look about you. So I can only imagine that you're not, you know, uh, over I want to say it nicely chief but you're still a young guy yeah. right so you do bridge that gap and I find that having people in in those leadership positions that know how and can respect the old and respect the new that's how we bridge that gap to find the ways of how we move today and move forward
1: yeah no hundred percent and and when I was a you know when I was a training captain that was one of the things we always talked about that this when I was training this new generation coming up, I spent mm-hmm. almost three and a half years at the training facility and we run our own recruit classes in-house, um, fire, fire school and EMT school. Um, back then, we did both of them in-house. And, you know, that was one of the first things I used to tell people is this generation, they're not a bad generation. I mean, it's no. a bunch of young guys that are eager to learn and it's our responsibility to give them that why. Whereas when I first came on the department, you didn't ask that question. You didn't ask and I'm sure you probably discussed this before on your podcast. They didn't ask the why. I mean, nobody, everybody was just expected to do what they're told. And there certainly is a time for that. There's no doubt that at certain moments and, and situations where there's an emergency being made, you don't have time to explain your decisions and that's fine. Um, but, but those, those young guys, men and women, um, because we're trying to recruit both, and attract sure. both. but they, they want to know why they just want to connect the dots. You know, they want to try to figure out how these things are related and where they fit in and them. And so, I've always said we have a great young generation coming up. We just got to figure out how to communicate with them. And and, and every generation has been different. I mean, every, if you look back in the history of time, this has always happened. We think it's a new challenge for us, but it's not, it's always existed. Exactly.
0: What I think is, is really interesting though. And what I really love about it though, is you are protective of those, um, of those senior years, the guys that have time in and understanding And finding a way for them to communicate those old school values yet in a new school type of way. And I think that's where a lot of people are struggling today. And as as the chief of department, again, pulled in so many directions for you to understand and acknowledge that that has to filter down through the ranks below you to make sure that everybody buys into your vision, though, of how we move forward in communicating with today.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, the senior guys, I get it. I mean, I think over a period of time, you know, they from what I've seen. Um, they just want these young guys to care and have the yes. passion about it. Okay. That's what they want to see first. And I think they're willing to invest whatever, um, and, and pass that along if they feel like the other end is receiving. So I think that also translates to the young guy. They got to understand that, that yes, somebody will invest in you, but you've also got to show that passion and desire to want to grow. Because if you, if you sit back and you're disengaged then they, they get the sense that you you don't care. And so then they d- certainly don't want to waste their time in trying to develop you. But uh, um, they're both so important to the organization. I mean, we're at a big transition point in our organization where we're going to yeah. lose a lot of senior people, people that, you know, I certainly have idolized in a sense. Uh, me growing up through my career, some of the captains that I emulated and wanted yeah. to try to be like, um, they're starting to leave now, which is which is bittersweet. You're happy for them. You want them to retire but you also know what they're taking with them. And, and so it's certainly a, a transition point coming to our organization over the next three to five years.
0: And I'm sure as a, as a metropolitan chief, I mean, you have conversations with with chiefs in, in similar positions as you. And so obviously this conversation is happening because it's not just happening in Mobile. We're, we're seeing this divide of the older schools starting to leave this job more rapidly and there's not many of them left. And now we have this new school, which brings a different, way about them uh not that it's any wrong and different, better worse it's just a different way and so we're now filling these roles with with a different mindset a different way to communicate different way they operate and so i have to believe though that this has been a widely popular topic within fire chiefs across the country about how they're dealing with these topics
1: yeah and, and no it has and interestingly enough we have, we have a little one of our chiefs here always has a saying and, and and uh he says look we're trying to find and recruit And a lot of times a white collar person, but then put them in a blue collar job. Okay. And so we want all those things. Um, We certainly have not put an emphasis, although they do get a little bit of credit through the recruiting process. We're we're not afraid to take somebody that has no training whatsoever and get them involved. We we think that we can teach anybody to become a firefighter if they have the desire and the passion to get there. So we, we haven't placed a big emphasis. Matter of fact, most of our people come in are fresh and have no training um we 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 don't have a whole lot of lateral transfers come in um i can get into that but that's just really because we're on our own pension plan outside the state's pension plan so lateral movement's not very easy for a lot of people they don't want to come and start over um so we hire people with no experience oftentimes but we do get a you know applicants that have had some type of degrees and have gone to college and maybe are just changing careers but um yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a challenge. And I think everybody across the country is experiencing that. There's no doubt.
0: I love that white collar, blue collar. Um, we and I, I just talked about this recently on another episode. I'd love to get some of your feedback on this, because I think that you're probably right in line with some of my thoughts. We today promote white collar so heavily over blue collar that we don't believe the world needs blue collar. and And yet we need them more than ever now. Um, We push our children to get further education. We push our kids up the line. We want them to be the biggest, the best. Everybody thinks their kid's going to be a professional athlete or a lawyer or a doctor when in fact the world is made up of all different types of people. But we're limiting the options of what our kids have in front of them to understand that, you know, service work matters and and it's not going anywhere. Recruitment for you, is it more and more challenging these days? Every day. I mean, every day. I mean, it's... And we've,
1: we're trying so many different approaches to try to reach uh, the young men and women, but we, we have gotten the sense lately that it's just the job market is so competitive out there right now in the private sector. And they're offering, I mean, you know, fast food restaurants are paying 17 to $20 an hour. I've got a 17 year old daughter and, and, you know, she worked at a restaurant one time and she's making $20 an hour by the time you factor in some other things. I mean, it's just amazing what's out there and available for some of them. And I think, um you got to really pursue people. I think that, you know, when I first came on, it was shortly after 9-11. And when you look at everybody was motivated by that, had this yeah. tremendous sense of service and wanted to get involved with it. But we haven't had that something like that that's moved the needle recently. And I think people really, they want you to pursue them. I mean, they want you to come after them or actively recruit. I mean, just look at football recruiting. We're, we're in the South, right? We're a huge football recruiting. Yes. What, do these, what do these kids want? I mean, you listen to the coaches. They yep. have to pull out all the stops. It's not about the institution anymore it's not about come here with all this tradition and history yeah that's a part of it and that will relate to some people but at the end of the day what they what they'll tell you is they want to feel the love they want to feel like somebody's coming after them and pursuing them now we can get in these philosophical debates about do we need to do that or not and and i could i could point out pros and cons cons, absolutely but the the fact of the matter is you got to be willing to change your approach or have multiple ways to approach it just to try to capture them
0: Well, and I think that's what's interesting about the conversation is the willingness to budge, the willingness to maybe check some ego or bravado at the door the way we've always done it. I mean, the fire service is steeped in that. Um, I think it takes young leaders, dynamic leaders such as yourself to realize that in order to pivot, we need to make some changes internally before we can promote outward. If people need more of a pick-me-up or people need more attaboys or they need to feel that we're invested into them and we're not doing that or we never did that as a department, then by God, we have to pick up our game and do better or we're going to lose, right? You have you have communities full of, of kids that are probably looking for some direction. Mobile is not the most affluent community. It's a tough, there's tough neighborhoods. The outreach you have for those, I met a bunch of guys uh, through Anthony that come right from the neighborhoods there. Tough neighborhoods, kids that grew up with incredible diversity, murders, gangs, drugs, all around them, and they are dedicated and in love with the Mobile Fire Rescue Department.
1: Yeah, no, and that's, hey, and that you know, one of our goals has been to try to recruit um, and reflect the community we serve, yeah. and that's a challenge. I mean, that's a I'm challenge. Sure. Um, it certainly has, but and we've when well, we're still struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, but just because I think that it's just so hard to get people into this field right now, um, and public safety, but, um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, that's something that we want to offer to our community, right? I mean, if we, our pool should start here. I mean, we, we want to lock down this city and try to recruit within this city for people that are passionate about it or live in this mobile, greater mobile area. I mean, we have, you know, a couple hundred thousand citizens in the city limits, but when you're talking about the mobile area, right in this general area, we have quite a few, I mean, yeah, uh, more than that. So, we really want that. That wants to be our primary focus on taking kids um, and, and being able to provide them a future and, and being able to give back to the community. We we certainly think adds value and it can have a generational impact uh, for sure.
0: Hundred you know, percent. So hundred percent. I think you then you get the buy-in. You get the community buy-in. You get those that grew up in the community that are always looking at that shiny red fire truck going by and believing that they're they're the voice of everything, right? And uh, and I love those stories where kids find their way to the firehouse and then the firehouse ends up doing something incredible, possibly saving their lives and then promoting generational um, values and and some and some stability. I think that's it's, it makes for an incredible story. Chief, early on in your career, too, you served as a combat medic in the army. What did that look like for you? How did you end up in the army? Was that something that you always were looking at going into? You
1: know, yes. There's two things I always was attracted to. One was the military. I really wanted to fly. And mm-hmm. that was something that I had a passion for ever since I was a young kid. Dad uh, in the fire service, because my dad, every single day, I was putting on the gear, putting on the boots, playing with the helmet. I mean, I've got pictures of, of me and my dad, uh, at, visiting my dad at fire stations. And, uh, but ironically enough, I, kind of felt like that calling and I was at at high school one day and they had a recruiting table set up and I was told my friends, I'm going to, going to talk to this guy, I'm going to sign up. And of course they thought I was crazy. I thought I was making a joke because I typically likes to try to, you know, goof around a little bit, but uh, no, I sat down and I went through with it and I did, that was the reserves. I ended up joining, um, initially and I, and I was about to transition. I loved it. And I really felt like it was going to be a good career for me. and then I met my wife and I got back from all my training, met my wife um, at the time. We were very young. We're still married. Been married 21 years, which I'm extremely proud of. Love it. And um, but, you know, when I met her, I knew that, hey, this is this is not going to work. I want to I want to be here. I want to want to be around her. And, um, you know, so I ended up I looked I looked around, talked to my dad. I'm like, Dad, you know, what about the fire service? He says, oh, it's a great job. He says it's a great job. Come yeah. on here to provide some great stable income for your family some great benefits that you really don't care about right now, but you will down the road. Sure. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, come on. And so he started walking me through that process. And, um, but yeah, I certainly loved my time in the military. I have a tremendous amount of respect for people that serve. And, um, it, it, that was just a great part chapter of my life that I, I certainly enjoyed.
0: And you served in operation Iraqi freedom operation Enduring freedom. So you were deployed boots on the ground.
1: Yeah. So, what was interesting with that is I joined the fire department. You'll kind of see those schedules overlap. And yeah. um, I was about almost through fire school. I was already an EMT because of being a combat medic in the army, they provide your EMT right. basic license. And uh, of course they train you a little bit further than that, but they, you, they, they allow you to test for the EMT basic. Well, um, I get back from that and I start, start fire school. And um, I get almost the way through it and the war kicks off in 03. And so I got deployed from January of 03 till about May of 04, I returned home. So, um, yeah, we were right. We provided medical support pretty much for the entire uh, Kuwait portion. I was with a, um, an ambulance platoon that was on an ambulance, um, Humvee ambulance, not like what you got see. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I got yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But, uh, but that's what I was a part of. and certainly, you know, um, enjoyed that period in my life.
0: What did that do for you structure wise? I mean, was it did you need that type of formal structure in your life? I mean, the military parallels or the fire service, I should say, parallels the military very well in a lot of regards. And so was it natural for you when you came back from Iraq and serving and you had, you know, uh, over a year of of service overseas coming back and then adjusting back to civilian life? Yet you still had that camaraderie brotherhood part, the commitment to something greater than you when you got back to the firehouse, was that, was that needed for you? Did you need to have that part?
1: Yeah. To me is that was, I mean, that was critical. I mean, uh, for me looking for something, I I never started off wanting to be the fire chief of the mobile fire rescue department. I never started wanting to be a chief period, to be honest with you. All I ever wanted to do was really, I had a goal of becoming a captain because my dad was a captain. Got it. And, And that was really what I started off in. And I knew that, that I wanted to maybe have that opportunity one day, but that structure and those relationships and that the mission uh, of the fire service parallels almost identically to the military in a lot of, in a lot of respects. And so, yeah, I mean, that was absolutely what I was looking for and it fulfilled that need right off the bat. I mean, there was, there was times when I was in the fire service, you know, in the fire station, I was like, man, I want to do this the rest of my life. I mean, this is, this is unbelievable. I mean, it's a great job. I mean, it's crazy to me. Some people that don't love the job, but it's, it's unbelievable job that provides you such a great sense of, of service and and f- very fulfilling. So
0: so I'm sure a lot of guys know, you know, everybody knows you today as the chief of department. I want to hear a little bit about your early days, your backstep days, your stretching on fire days. I mean, how much did you enjoy that fire day? I know EMS obviously was a big part of your life, too. Um, and, uh, but I know you rode suppression units as well. The captain in this uh, suppression unit, I believe. And then you went to the training Academy and I want to get there, but your early days, I mean, the structure was there. The excitement was there. What was it like for you?
1: You know, when I first, I came, when I first was assigned down, um, I came out of the training center finally, after getting back through coming back after the military yeah. and they had to figure which back then they didn't have a way to really get you back plugged in. Into the fire service or some of my licenses had lapsed and they really didn't have systems in place because they hadn't dealt with the war for some time, which was extremely crazy. But anyway, finally get all the training, get get assigned out. And you know, they had come to me and they said, uh, I remember the chief at the time, the assistant chief came down. And he says, Hey, where do you where would you like to go? Which is a they never ask you this question, but I'm assuming just because there was only a couple of us. They had to do a one off class. There's only a few of us from Mobile. Um, That second time I had to go back through fire school. So I tell everybody I had to go through it twice, which was, you know, it's fun. I enjoyed it, but I, I don't want to do it again. Yeah, right. But, yeah. uh, so I come back to and they said, where would you like to go? And I said, man, I'd love to go downtown. Just something about being downtown with the high rise structures. It felt like a fire department to me. I, I can't yeah. explain that. My dad was at other stations. I'd visit him. I knew him. But to me, I was always attracted to down here. Hmm. And uh, so that's where they put me on a suppression unit in downtown Mobile. And, and really, my career started right away. It was just by being with a great company officer. And this is what I try to tell so many of these captains. Man, they have such a big influence. He immediately had me start reading the rules and the regs. And I look back, and I'm like, I never questioned it. Because just being from the military, I just said, OK, this is what sure. he wants me to do. He does this with yeah. everybody. But I come to find out that was rare. I mean, he was making me get in and reading all the rules and figuring out what my jobs and responsibility was at a very very beginning first days that's what he was trying to instill in me and and uh I loved it I mean to me being on a riding on the back of a fire truck uh, I miss that every single day I mean to me that was why I joined the fire service and and I I certainly don't want to make light of the fact that I'm honored and grateful for the opportunities I've had but that's why you join the fire service you join the fire service to be on the fire truck you don't you don't join the fire service to do what I'm doing now and and um so yeah, I miss that every single day. I ended up going to paramedic school. The department put me through that, which was a tremendous opportunity, and I was very sure. grateful for that. Rode on a uh, ambulance unit, but yeah, those years of, of being on an apparatus and working my way up through captain um, was certainly a, a, a tremendous honor when I was able to finally do that with my father and and uh, came back downtown as a captain. Did you, you know? work
0: with Did you work with your father, or was he retired prior to you getting? No. Out? He, he
1: actually retired right after I made uh, assistant chief.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So you guys worked together then? Did... Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was How amazing. was that?
0: Was that a real full circle moment for you? I mean...
1: Yeah, it was definitely strange, you know. Promoted, uh,
0: you promoted right past him, huh? Yeah,
1: yeah. He <laughs> let me know it all the time. He let me know it all the time. Um, so, but yeah, it was good. Yeah,
0: those staff meetings are always fun, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he was, yeah, a, he was God, a, God a suppression. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he
1: always said that it didn't matter what rank I had. I'm not telling him what to do. That's what I said, that right. Okay, yep. Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: Fair. Absolutely. I worked with my father for many years, so I get that completely. This episode is brought to you by the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Let's break it down real quick. Steve and the crew at Affordable Drill Towers is doing it again. They've created this fully custom and fabricated standpipe prop to support the fire service. I'm telling you right now, this is a game changing piece of training equipment and I want to hop into it real quick it is designed with a four inch manifold of high strength galvanized schedule 10 pipe the cart manifold are powder coated red for a durable finish meaning it's not just a talking piece it's not something you tuck away on the shelf this is a training prop that can be wheeled into the classroom and then brought out onto the training ground and so let's talk about that in the classroom there's nothing better than having a hands-on prop in front of the students in front of the fire companies that are there to learn about stamp pipe and FPC connections, having that prop in the classroom allows for a great instructional lecture. And then from there, take the standpipe theory and translate it to the training grounds. You could wheel the cart out that's on casters, you wheel it out into the parking lot, and that same training prop that you just used hands-on in the classroom can now be used hands-on on the training ground by pumping into it and flowing out of it. It offers such versatility in its approach It has a two and a half inch Siamese connection, seven two and a half inch outlets, six of which are standpipe valves, has a water motor gong, sprinkler head with a control valve, and a system pressure gauge. You can also upgrade and put three of the most common field adjustable PRVs. I'm telling you right now, this is a game changing training prop that needs to be in every fire company or training department across the country. Reach out to Steve and the crew. Info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Ask for a demo. Ask for information. Or check them out on social media and YouTube. There's plenty of content out there that shows you exactly what the affordable standpipe prop can do for you. This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market. They are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders, they can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on and they provide nothing but top shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform. And Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout, for a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFRSENTME. That's NFRSENTME for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. So, But it had to be exciting for him to watch you progress through your career, too. Um, You know, you mentioned how important your first captain was to you. Gave you the rules and regulations, set guidelines, gave you expectations. So did you emulate that when you had the opportunity to have your own company as well? Was that important to you to emulate what the captains that did, what they did for you, for you to do for your people?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you need people. Okay, so I've always thought it's so important. You need people in your life that see things about you that you don't see about yourself. Love that. And and to me, that was so critically important because I think back to the times when I was just fresh on and I'm I'm looking at the driver and I'm trying to become a relief driver, swing driver, you know, where you step up and you drive when the driver's off. And to me, I had such reverence for the driver because I saw what the work that they did, but you know, they also got to act company officer, but they, that was our first step in the organization. And I had some that right away were just, you know, I'm like, man, I just hope I can make it to where you where you're at one day and driving this fire truck and, and the things that they would tell you and the encouragement they would give you and, and the things they saw, man, are were so critically important at a young yeah. and, and very influential point in my career. Um, that was where it was at. I mean, I, I, I came out of fire school and I was going to wait a few years to go to paramedic school where, you know, everybody on the fire service says, well, you need to learn how to be a firefighter before you go to paramedic school. Right. And yeah, there is some value in that hundred percent. But when my captain had a different approach, he said, no, we're gonna get you in paramedic school right away. And I'm like, well, cap, why don't we wait a little bit? He says, no, trust me. You're on engine three in downtown mobile. You're going to get, you're going to get quite a bit of firefighting experience right off the bat. Yeah. He says, but this is where the future of the department's heading um he said this is something that's going to be good for you and i think is in your future now again we can debate back and forth what's the best and what's not sure it's, It took over two years to get through all that training yeah um but it's so important at those beginning steps to have somebody to see something new you, you that you don't see in yourself so well
0: and that's what i love and then exploit that and push them right because for me yeah. like there's nothing better than watching the success of those around me Right. And if I could have a little part in pushing them to do a little bit more or find a little bit something different that they didn't know they had in them that they could now bring out and make prevalent to the world like that to me is so important. Right. That's what a good leader does. It finds their people, picks their people up and pushes them to be better.
1: Yeah, I mean, because, look, let's be honest, when are you ever going to really have all the experience that you need to do the next job? You're never going to have that. I mean, you can sit around and think that you're going to develop it, but. I've got people that, you know, 20 years on the job doesn't mean 20 years worth of experience. And so it's where you've been, it's what you've done, it's how you've invested in yourself. But yeah, I mean, look, when I made Fire Chief, I never had Fire Chief experience. I mean, it's not like I could sit around and say, oh, well, you know, when am I gonna be ready for this job? Every single job i promoted to, I have never felt like I was truly ready for that position. It took a lot of work and effort on the after or before you get promoted, but then it also continues to take a ton of effort afterwards to make sure that you know we're honing in on our craft and trying to trying to become better um people so yeah when you ask that other question i'll circle back to it real fast yeah. at the end yeah i did take some of those things i mean i had captains that would work with us every day so when i tried to make captain one of the things my crews will tell you is every day we we'd pull out just one little og and go over it but we'd also have the ropes out um and i didn't tend to like training necessarily on the things we always did i right. wanted to get them things ex- exposed to things that we may not see, or I knew where their weakness is so that we could try to make them more comfortable with that. And myself, because usually if I was teaching something, I probably wanted to make sure I brushed up on it as well. They didn't know 100%. this, but that's that's
0: yeah, right. So. Absolutely. No, that makes, that makes perfectly great sense. I mean, and that's somebody though, that's willing to have, be humble and understand that, Hey, I got to refresh myself here too. I don't know everything. And, uh, and yeah, for sure. So talk to me a little bit about the, the captain spot you, when, when we were talking, uh, Before we hit the record button, which often happens, you mentioned I mentioned training captain and your eyes lit up and you said that that was probably your favorite position um, other than fire chief, of course. Uh, But uh, no, but the training captain spot, right? Like (laughs) talk to me a little bit about that, because I think that that is where we need the best and the brightest and the most dynamic and people that are willing, because that's where we are creating our department. We're building a foundation, right. For those that are coming up next and furthering the education of the boots on the ground that we have now, how important was that job to you?
1: Uh, so, I mean, it was absolutely probably, and my wife will tell you even now, again, I love being a fire chief, but the training, sure. she'll tell you when I, the most, I love that position. And I, and I've heard the old sayings, people say, oh, people go teach what they can't do, you know, right, right, but, right. I'm, but I'm going to tell you the culture in our department is not that we, we want to send the very best people to the training center because. Um, we understand how important it is. And that, and that started well before my time. I mean, most of the time, there's certainly been periods where you maybe have had that, you know, just, been, but but our overall goal or this department's overall goal has been to try to send very good people there that will help influence the next generation. You know, when, when my training captain years was, honestly, I loved it. And really the reason was, is because you got to impact, you learned everybody, right? So- yeah. If you look on my, you can see in the background there, I've got every picture of Love every recruit class that I ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's aside, the only other pictures I have in here are pictures of my family. That's it. That, so that, that's, that's how much I've enjoyed that part of my life. Sure. Um felt like I got to know them on a personal level. And to me, it was just a great opportunity for me to grow as a leader. First of all, I, I, I got way more out of that than I probably ever gave back. But my, my goal, and I hope that I at least instill some good values in them to hopefully set them up for success and try to try to give some of that same passion and energy to them in hopes that they take it and, and go on with it. So
0: That fulfillment you got out of that position had to fuel your passion even more so.
1: No, unbelievable. I mean, it's, I, can't, I, I can't even express it to you in words, the way mm. I felt every single day I came to work and how important you felt and you know, and it was difficult, it's challenging at times, right? You're training new firefighters, and then and then you have a lot of senior firefighters coming down. And so we try to make sure we structure it in a way that you know I tell them all the time, you look, y'all know way more than what I've ever probably learned on this job. All right. So yeah, but we but we're gonna put we're gonna put some through some drills, and at the end, I want to get your feedback and let you talk to the group and let them know what you saw. And that's the way I kind of did it. And that's the kind of the respect that I would have for them. I I'd put them and integrate them into those training evolutions when we're doing multi-company drills and then let them start with the feedback of things they saw. And it really went well versus me just sitting up there going and trying to point out different things. But, um, but I love it. And it, it was, a, it was a fantastic opportunity.
0: I have to think too, around that time period, I'm just going over the time frame of my brain, but that is around the time where things have been changing in the fire service, right? Mm-hmm. We went from uh, the standard traditional training methodology to getting Much more dynamic in our approach, our delivery, uh, a lot more uh, responsibilities being thrusted on the fire department in regards to technical rescue and hazmat and all these other areas right over your career. I'm sure you've seen an influx in required training, let alone now the city of Mobile is responsible for all these other things that we've never had to really think about before. So it is a dynamic time in the fire service over the last 25 years of how we had to progress our training forward talk to me a little bit about that i mean did you find that during your tenure you had to push the envelope a little bit or bring some new ideas or thoughts or or types of required training into the fold that you never had to deal with when you were you know early on
1: yeah that hundred percent i mean when you talked about just the rescue technician classes yeah. and bringing in vehicle and machinery extrication i mean My dad will always tell you when he came on, I think the training class was like four weeks long to train a firefighter. You know, now we're probably 22 weeks to put them through fire and EMT and hazmat A&O. And now we've integrated rope rescue into our recruit school. And the reason we did that is because it's the foundational course just about for any tech rescue class. But also we wanted people a little more competent in ropes when they show up on these scenes. they're, They're able to at least help instead of just standing there wondering what's going on. And so, but yeah, the fire service has changed so much over the last... 20 years i mean alone how, how far it's advanced and what's required and what's expected and um it's a lot and and i think that if you you know we've certainly we've had to start to segment it in pieces because it is very difficult to get everybody trained you can't get everybody trained right. up to an expert level in some of these things and so you know you've got to start segmenting hazmat team over here and text sure. rescue team over here and all these types of things and that's that's what everybody across you know your audience understands that but um uh, it's certainly been amazing to see how how far we've come and how far we continue to push the needle and, and what we've had to try to do to offer a lot of classes and training to our people so that they can they can feel fulfilled and feel like they're growing every day
0: well i mean your city is quite diverse i remember driving around a little bit and and seeing you guys have everything right you're you're like any other metropolis right any other urban setting uh it, suburban rural urban and then you have uh you know you have a large uh waterfront right that you're responsible for so the infrastructure there is grand and anything and everything that can happen anywhere else can happen right there in mobile
1: yep no i mean 10th largest port when you're talking about gross tonnage coming in and out of there major cx uh, csx railway coming through here uh, because of the transport all that product coming in with the port we've got two airports here i mean we've got um yeah, a, a big diversity with when you're talking about downtown. We always talk about east versus west firefighting, east of I-65. That's our uh, what we consider the breaking point. That's about middle of the city. I-65 runs from pretty much I-10, which runs uh, west to east. And it, it it pretty much cuts the city in half. On the east side, you've got all the old buildings, all the old structures, most no. of the high-rise facilities. Uh, older construction, you know, tongue and groove ceilings, all these types of things. And then on the west side, you've got all the new construction, and they firefight differently. You know, I spent a majority of my career on the east side of the interstate, um, so this is where I've where I've been born and bred. But the tactics are different than out west. I mean, they're similar, but you know what I mean. There's just a sure. different way about firefighting in those days things. And so, yeah, it's it's a pretty diverse city with what the challenges. I mean, matter of fact, we just got back from probably one well, of 300,000 square foot uh, warehouse fire that we had last week. Uh, we were there for almost seven days uh, fighting that fire. Um, 300,000 square foot had paper bales from, you know, that were thousands of pounds stacked in pon- uh, in there on each other. And it just, you know, oh. a lot of those things are threats in the city. So.
0: Sure. No. And I mean, so it's got to keep you on your toes. And I guess where I was headed with this conversation, right, is for you and your command staff, right. All the way down to the guys that are running on the back step of the engines and the trucks, and so on, there has to be this continual communicational thread happening where you're getting real-time feedback and you have to foster, and I would think, Chief, and I'd love your feedback on this, is fostering an environment where it is the information flows not just downward, but also upward too. How important is that for you to stay in touch with the guys that are out there doing it every single day so that you're staying in touch and being able to make policy or help guide policy or guideline changes or or pushing them even further based upon what's happening in real time?
1: No, I think it's a critical to, to the success of the department, not just being the fire chief, but you know we struggle with that in some areas i'm gonna be yeah. honest some, some supervisors don't necessarily believe in that they, they do not absolutely they they do not they believe that that communication i think in a sense sometimes strips them of authority and and i have the other mindset of it look if we give the information and we get the feedback um we certainly we certainly can make improvements and I always say this look we can't fix everything right if i had a magic wand I know exactly what needs to be fixed That's in this right. fire department. I, I, yeah, I know. I mean, I, I can make it happen if if I was allowed to make it happen. The problem is I'm not. Right. And so every day I'm trying to advocate for those things. But my point is, is if we can listen to the men and women, and we can fix the low hanging fruit. all right, at the very least, we can do that. The things we can fix, we should fix. That's something I've always said. And so those low-hanging fruits, those frustrations on, you know, if some report that they have to do is aggravating and time-consuming and doesn't make sense, well, then let's figure out how we can make it easier on them. If we have to get that information, let's make it as simple as we possibly can so it's not any work on them. Because I think sometimes what we can tend to do is we can forget that we're there to support the men and women in the field. Yes, we need information so that we can we can make adjustments and we can change and we can, you know, we have certain reporting measures that we need to do and we need to capture these things so we can improve our level of service, but we're there to support those guys. I mean, they are, they're the ones that are having to get on the truck every day and do the job. So fixing that low hanging fruit and having that communication can be difficult and challenging, especially when some people don't necessarily believe in it. And so in, in certain situations, that's why I believe in trying to get out of the fire station as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Uh, you know, I set a goal every year of trying to visit every station on every shift at least once in a year. Great. Which is a lot. We have 18 yeah. fire stations, so I don't, I don't, I don't typically make it to every single one. I give it a shot, but showing up on calls or showing up to the hospital with our rescue units, which are ambulances, uh, and and just being there and trying to listen some has helped helped me. Or having those um, informal leaders in the organization, I can reach out to and say, "Hey, tell me what's going on with the morale. Tell me what the guys and girls are saying out there, truly unfiltered, because yeah. the message people. People think that I know everything but let me, because I hear everything. But let me tell you, man, that message gets filtered coming to me. I mean, it gets it gets, it gets filtered, and I'm like, what is going – seriously, that's the rumor running around right now? And then I got to try to get out there and dispel rumors. But uh, anyway.
0: No, but- I, I get that, and I hear that a lot when I talk with guys, and, and there seems to be this, like, disconnect of almost like the fire – we have to insulate the fire chief so he doesn't really know, right? Or, <laughs> or we need to change the conversation, you know, and, and so on. Yet the fire chief's a fireman firefighter like they came up through like they still i i think we i don't know I, and that's a loaded conversation but i think what's right is when you're there for your people that service-minded leadership where you're there for your people and i really like what you said the things that we can fix we should fix it's the low-hanging fruit that a lot of times makes the biggest impact and difference on your people
1: yeah 100 i mean the big things like i know we need to get more sal- competitive salaries for our people um I know there's other things that we got to fix and make sure that they have a not only a, a great job but they also have great benefits at retirement because we need to take care of our retirees. My dad's a retiree, right? Yeah, for I'm, sure. I'm going to be one one That's day.
0: Right. That's so, right.
1: So so I tell everybody, look, we always we have way more in common than we have uncommon. All right, and I think there's some people out in the fire service that always want to pit. They it's like yes. there's this natural tendency, and I get it. I was in the firehouse. I haven't forgotten that they want to pit the firefighters versus the administration sometimes. And those people are cancerous and, and it's very destructive because they don't, most people really don't understand, you know, what's taking place necessarily behind the scenes. And That's in right. many, many cases, you can't explain it. It's not that you We're we're really transparent here. I mean, I put out information letters to the men and women of the department. I'm about as transparent as I can be, but there's some things I can't be transparent. Sure, about, of course. You know? um, but man, we, we gotta, we have to fix the things that we can fix because you're right. The little things, if, if, if they know we're working on the big things, that's one thing. And when they know those can't be changed, but what their frustration really stems from is when you're putting all these other little things on them, or it's very frustrating little processes yeah. that, that you don't fix that you just put your head in the sand. And, yeah. You know.
0: No, I would agree with you, Chief. I, it was a very good point. And I think to recognize that speaks volumes to the type of administration that you run for sure. Talk to me a little bit about the process, right? Because for you, you said just 10, 15 minutes ago in this conversation, I never wanted to be the fire chief, never thought of being the fire chief. Right. And as you promoted up the line, training captain was a great job for you. Uh, from there, I think you have district chiefs, then deputies and then chief of department, I believe is the order. If I remember from my, my uh, little bit of knowledge and reading that I did on, on mobile. So for you, that process, I mean, what did that look like for you? Did you have some moments where you're like, what am I doing here?
1: Like, yeah, no, hundred, hundred percent. And not many people know this, but yeah. And I'll be honest about it when I, hmm. when I was, so they had a change in change in mayor and a change in administration. And um, once that, and that can happen, you know, the political sure. wheels are always turning. That's, that's right. the nature of the business. When you kind of get up here, you got to understand that. But uh yeah, I was a district chief at the time and I just made district chief about a year prior and, you know, I was trying to figure that out. And I'm sitting here thinking what in the world have I done? You know what I mean? Like I was a captain at yeah. the training center. I love this job. And, and, but I, but I looked at it like this. I looked at it as an opportunity that if you want to impact change, and we needed a lot of change done in the organization, that somebody has to be willing to kind of go forward and, and try to help do it. That's it. Bottom line. It was not about the rank for me. Um, matter of fact, I, I've always said that the rank doesn't mean anything about success to me. I mean, you can have just as much of an impact as a firefighter on the back of the truck for 25 years, probably more so of an impact than what I can have in, in many situations. Yeah, I can impact more people, but... But that fire, that senior person, that firefighter, it doesn't matter what rank they promote to yeah. to be successful. But but anyway, yeah, it just kind of happened, man. look, i'm I'm a firm believer. I don't know what kind of what people believe in, but I have a lot of faith and and I felt like that once I made chief, um, some things started to happen, and the administration changed, and they promoted a new fire chief. And I'd actually uh, threw my name in the hat originally, and I only had, 15 years at the time, I was not ready to be the fire chief. I can still argue that even now. <laughs> but, but, um, you know, the opportunity, I put my name in because I said, you know what, I know, I see a lot of these things that are wrong. I see a lot of these things that we can do better for the men and women. At least let me get a voice to tell Absolutely. them, if I even get a chance at the panel and it doesn't go any further, that's fine. At least I had it out. And so, but anyway, I ended up getting down into the finalists. And and I'm going to tell you what, I, you can ask my wife, I promise you this, the night before they're going to announce it, they didn't tell us who, who was going to be announced Fire Chief. I was scared to death. I said, man. You were scared you were going to get it. Yes. I was like, I don't, this is not like.
0: <laughs> yeah, I get it.
1: I, well, and I'll tell you why. And people say this, is not, it, I'll tell you, be honest, whole, wholesome honest with you. I felt that a lot of the changes that needed to be made in the department and I wanted to be a voice to be able to maybe point out some of those things, but I felt sure. that those changes needed to be really from somebody because of where we were at in our department. Yes. I knew a lot of the guys that have been long time. I felt like it needed somebody that had uh, been on a, a, a longer than I had. And I just felt like that to truly change, because if you got somebody that's been on 25, 30 years at the time, and they're willing to say, yes, we're going to change. And this is what the best interest of the department people are typically are going to buy into that because they realize that it's just, with, with that, with that age, that training. longevity,
0: right? Yeah. yeah, yeah validates
1: yeah. it in a sense, right. but they promoted me to, so the fire chief that got selected ended up promoting me to his chief of staff, uh, which was a uh, assistant chief. We call them assistant chiefs. Um, okay. We kind of go fire chief to assistants and then oh, deputy okay. the district chief, but uh, he promoted me up to that rank and um, there we go. And then he retired yeah. after three years, he was a tremendous chief, um, unbelievable guy of character um, and, and that's really what I've been fortunate about. People ask you what, how have you been successful? First of all, I don't dictate making fire chief as being successful. Okay. I look at that. It's just the impact I can have while I'm here. And that's just being honest with you. But, uh, but it's about being around great people, man. I mean, success breeds success and people that have good traits and qualities and character that translates over to people around you. It just does. And, and I've been very fortunate to be around some tremendous leaders, my entire time throughout my career. And that's helped me. I mean, no doubt.
0: Yeah. Something I want to just circle back on what you said. And I I just want to focus on a little bit more because I've had this conversation a lot on this podcast. I talk with guys in firehouses all over the country. So many people are afraid to take that leap. And yet I tell them all the time, it's important because if you can affect change on a company level as a backstep firefighter, as a senior firefighter, sometimes though your ability to affect change is limited because you don't have a bigger voice because you need a position or title to help you impact a bigger change. And so sometimes you need to progress up the line, even if you don't want to, or you don't think you're ready. And like you said, and I agree with you, I think if you feel that you're ready, then you don't belong in that position. I oh, think okay. every, yeah, I, I think when I you promote up, whether it's in volunteer service, uh, a personal career or the fire service, if you think you're ready for the next step, uh, I don't know if you're doing a job right. I, f- I feel that pins and needles and eggshells is important because it makes you more conscious of the next level, the next position, and you need to be a little hesitant and, and nervous about it. But I think though that in order to affect change, People that want to make change and make change for the right reasons to protect our own protect the sanctity of the department, whatever it is that has to be done on levels that you might not be able to attain just being a firefighter. And so it requires you to put yourself and promote yourself up the line. And if you have ideas and thoughts that can make us better, we want those people at the top because those are the ones that can super effective in change. They're the ones that can institute change that's better for our people and who we are.
1: Yeah, I, you. I mean, I don't know what else I can add to that. You yeah, stated, yeah. I just you, you stated it perfectly. I mean, I think the problem is, and what I've seen throughout my career as a young firefighter, uh, all the way up to now, and and from talking to people all across the country with with metro departments, with smaller departments. I mean, I'm friends with chiefs all across the country. Sure. And and I think that the reality is that is if you're great people are not willing to make that choice to move up. Okay. Somebody is going to move up yeah. because vacancies are going to exist. That's right. and, and, and sometimes people's motivation, they could care less about the organization.
0: Hundred percent.
1: And we're not immune to that. We have, we have people in those positions. They absolutely, they want the authority. They want the power. They want the money, but they don't truly want the responsibility, right. the accountability um, to really move the needle in the organization. And so I think, you know, that's what, that's, what's going to happen yeah. if you're not willing to step up and it's not for everybody. Again, I'll go back to, Hey, if you want to be in that role and you feel that that's what you're called to do, then be there forever. But we have hundred
0: oh, percent,
1: but we have some phenomenal people at the, you know, that are great firefighters that have never wanted to take the drivers exam or, or captains that have never wanted to take. And we stars. need them. We need them. We, we absolutely need them. them mm-hmm. because that, Those are the ones that can start to impact. And now, will I tell them, are they going to love their next job as much as the one they have? Probably not. All right. I'm going to be honest with you. But the point is, is, is it's time to make that impact. And you want to be able to have that widespread, um, you know, shotgun blast, if you will, and be able to take care as much as you possibly can in the
0: organization. So yeah, I love it really well said, let's talk about this real quick. Um, Leadership in the fire service has become such a hot topic, right? When you listen to podcasts, you read articles in the training journals, you look at social media, there's so much content that comes out about ownership of leadership, leadership styles, management, all this stuff. And I'm it concerns me that that becomes such a prevalent topic today and everybody has their thoughts, ideas, strategies, tactics when it comes to leadership And I think leadership has become such a popular topic because, in fact, we lack leaders in today's world, not just in the fire service, but in general, across the board, we lack leaders. You went to the National Fire Academy for the EFO class, the Executive Fire Officer Series, um, which is no small feat. That's That's a big class, a lot of commitment, a lot of time that's spent. Talk to me about that process. How important was that for you in your career, the EFO class that you took there?
1: Yeah, no, it was it was a great program. I mean, it taught me a lot. Um, you know, it helped me develop that network across the country. And I really the most I started when I was a captain there, and in the department supported me in going right. with the mm-hmm. program. And I'll tell you, the, really, the most important the, what I got out of it is, and what I've tried to bring back is, we got to get out of our bubble because yes. what happens is sometimes we sit in our own fire department and we've got a lot of men and women that have never been outside the walls. They never really even talked to another fire department or, or seen what's you know they think that. Every they think that the issues that we face only exist in our organization. It's your
0: island, it's your yeah, island, our yeah. little
1: island, and it's like no. I'm telling you guys, there's a bigger world out there, and we're struggling with the same things. We do a lot of things better than a lot of departments, but we also could improve in a lot of areas, and departments That's... are 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 doing better job of them. This so that it really made a difference for me to see that one, the problems in the fire service aren't just isolated to Mobile Fire Rescue Department, but two. Um, people have figured out how to solve, solve some of these problems. So, so, leverage those resources. Don't recreate the wheel. Leverage those resources. And yeah, customize it, make it work for you because there's no, there's no single approach that's going to work for every department. But that's really what it taught me. And, and so, where I felt I needed to integrate in our professional development guide is once they start to make company officer, we get them, we, we force them really. I mean, it's in the guide that within a couple of years, they've got to go take a class at the National Fire Academy. I, I want to get them outside of the bubble. I mean, I got to get them out of this bubble to grow. And, um, it's been, you know, we'll, we'll start reaping the fruit of the, those decisions later, but, um, man, it
0: makes makes sense, right? It goes hand in hand with what you were saying, right? Success breeds success. Surround yourself with people that are like-minded in regards to bettering themselves and they're going to better the people around them.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what it's about. I mean, really we're missing the mark. If we're not, I mean, and we got so many young people that are passionate and want to learn this job. And that's really where we're failing as leaders, honestly. I think retention, and this is a hot topic for me, and sometimes it's not very favorable with people, that if, but if they are truly honest, the reason we're losing people is not because, uh, and a lot of times because of the job or because of the benefits, they're losing people because the leaders are terrible that they're under. They get to a fire station and they think that this, this company officer that's been on for a long time used to have a tremendous amount of passion. And now they're coming in every day and they're telling them their job's terrible. Well, yeah. what, I mean, what, what, who in their right mind would stay in that atmosphere? And so really, I tell everybody all the time, my job, I can't influence everybody with an organization this big. I wish I could see everybody every day, but I can't. And, and I've got to work through other people. But that's the expectation of the company officer. That company officer drives that morale in that station. And they're the ones that should be able to redirect. You know, I always say this, we should never gripe down. OK, we only gripe up. And if you remember Tom Hanks, this summed up leadership for me, and I used it in every class I ever taught. Tom Hanks in that movie, uh, um, Saving Private Ryan. Sure. And you can Google that clip. He's walking across, and they're going to find Private Ryan, and they're walking across this field, and the guys are just griping. I mean, they're just absolutely miserable, okay? And they're griping, and they should be, right? They, they were sent on a mission to go save one individual. I can understand their frustration. Why risk all these people's lives for one? And they're going through all this comment, and he looks at them, and he said, well, what do you think, Captain? And this captain, uh, Hanks at the time, Tom Hanks, and he goes, well, you guys know the gripes don't, I don't gripe down. I gripe up, you know, and, and they're like, well, what would you say if you were a, you know, uh, if you were a superior officer was asking you what you thought of this mission? He said, well, I tell him that it's a great mission, sir, valued, you know, uh, worth the risk of my men and women, sir, and be happy yeah. to take this mission on. But my point is it killed the argument right away. That's right. Now they know that he disagreed with it. Okay. They know that he probably thought the same thing. The point is, is what's best for the men and women? Do I wallow? Do I get down in that pit with them and wallow in the mud? Or do I redirect and get them back focused on the mission? And that's where we fail every single day. That is where we're struggling, is 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 we think that we need to get in the mud with them. And that that means that we're fighting for them. And that means that if, if I, you know, no, don't look, they know, they already know your feelings on it. All right redirect them and get them pointed back on the mission that's where you you can change the dynamics
0: of the station man of character you said it before how important is that i mean that's what legacy is built on right that's what a career is built on is your character and how do you want to be known and how do you want to carry yourself amongst your peers and your superiors and and i think that that's so important and i think we get so many people get focused on the immediate and not the long-term play and they don't understand that all these immediate the gripes, the moaning, the bitching, all of that, right? Adds up to all of a sudden it's a career worth of this guy. He, he lacks it. He doesn't have it. Right. And I think that that's concerning.
1: Well, I mean, I think that i look at it like the stock market. I mean, I, I try to tell everybody this, look, we're going to have some years where it's not such great years, right? right. But if we're, if we're in it for the long haul, all I want to see is that positive trend line. That's that. Well, are we getting better? Are we improving Are things getting better? And and I think that's where you have to focus. But, um, for, you know, in a lot of situations, uh, we tend to focus on, absolutely on the immediate. And, and in, in some respects, we need to be cognizant of that because it <laughs> is important because we do need to make sure we're providing all the things that they need to provide for their family. I mean, they they that's what they expect and deserve. Um, absolutely. But, yeah. you know, how do we keep motivation levels high when we don't get everything we want, you know, or, or deserve in a sense?
0: Yeah. And then that's why I don't envy you. Because in the position that you sit in, man, it's not uh, I know it's a daily day in, day out grind, protecting our own, but finding that balance, if you will. And it's got to be very challenging. And I think now more than ever, we are tasked with doing more with less. And as a sitting fire chief of a municipality or, or a city such as Mobile, I can't imagine that it's an easy job every single day, day in and day out, chief. So I know the grind is real for sure.
1: Well, don't feel sorry for me. I'm gonna tell everybody this all the time. I mean, at the end of the day, the hardest job is what the men and women are doing out on the streets. I and mean, we're, we're just supposed to be supporting them. I and mean, yeah. I firmly believe that. And so, you know, this job entails a lot of different things, a lot of politics. I wish it was back riding on the fire truck. Trust sure. me, I miss it every single day. Uh, matter of sure fact, I did, I did go drive a fire truck the other day on an emergency call. I jumped in, I was at the station visiting and I uh, looked at the driver and said, get in the back. I'm driving. He thought I was joking. I said, no, I'm serious. Get in the back. I'm driving. So, uh, yeah, but, goes uh,
0: so far with them, but, uh,
1: but anyway, it was, a uh, you know, we got yeah. a lot to fix here. Look, we're not a perfect department. I can promise you. I, I make mistakes every day, man. I, I get it. I mess it up every day. And, but we're, we're trying. Uh, yeah, but you
0: know. own it and that's the thing, right. And you own it and you move forward. And, um, and I think that's all you want is forward progression. And I think that that matters. Talk to me, something that was important to me, too, that I saw when I was in Mobile. Um, for a, for a, a city department who is so busy and so diverse, you guys capture the tradition of your department. Your department was created, the career department was created in 1888, if I if I read that correctly. It goes back to the early 1800s of volunteer companies and so on. The office you're sitting in is gorgeous. You have a game well system behind you, which is just incredible. I know you have the original dispatch, um, all the game well system, the pull box, the everything in another room off of where you're sitting. Um, pictures, history. There's an antique uh, engine down on the floor below you. The firehouses are old and historic. The history of the Mobile Fire Rescue Department. How important is that for you, for your department? And how does that keep you focused on where you are today?
1: I think it's everything. I mean, for me, I mean, it's all I've ever known with this fire department. But yeah, I mean, when you look around, you look at the photographs, there's two things that always tells you one, this department's going to keep moving, regardless of what you do. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's going to be here after you. So he it was here before you, it's going to be here after you. And that really puts it in perspective on, on many different things. But at the same token, you know, you have, you feel like there's a tremendous responsibility. And I think a lot of our members feel that to live up to some of those standards that the, the men and women before us had, you know, with, with the aggressive firefighting tactics and, and being willing to go in and, and risk a lot to save a lot. I mean, that our department has a strong culture of that very known, pretty known as a pretty aggressive firefighting, uh, department. And I think that that, that was instilled a long time ago, right. That's not something that we've just had to come in and create. Right. Matter of fact, most of the time, you know, you're having to try to pull people out. Um, of those situations. But I think that it, I think it means a lot to our members. I think that's why a lot of people do stay here because honestly, there's not another department this large with for a while. I mean, I think Montgomery is probably the closest one about three hours away in the state of Alabama. We're the second largest department in the state, but um, you know, I think it means a lot to our members. I think it, 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 it just when you walk around, you look at the old fire stations, you look at some of the traditions, some of the old photographs with the horse and carriage. Yeah. You know? But I think it also shows that we've improved a lot. And I think that that should be something that people, when they look at it also, they're like, OK, well, look, the department's changed a lot. I mean, I'll tell you a funny story here. Back uh, probably in the 60s, they got a maybe been a little bit earlier than that, but they got a fire truck, first and close cab fire truck. All right. It, it arrives at the fire station and it was the first one ever that they had an enclosed cab. The guys look at it and they go, there's no way we're going to have an enclosed cab fire truck. They take it down and they cut the top off of it. Nice. Literally. They nice. cut the top off of it. Yeah. Um, and now needless to say, we have trucks with air conditioner and enclosed cabs. And, and so I think we, what it should also remind us is things change and you can look back at the history and respect that, but you also got to be willing to embrace the future and what things we can do to, you know, how are we going to improve and how can we take advantage of the things that we now have access to that those before us didn't because I can promise you some of those they had air conditioner to be able to get in, they would have chosen to do so.
0: You got that right. And I think that's a really good way to start wrapping the conversation, um, you know, knowing where you come from and being willing to accept. Change and and progress and um and so on. I think that's uh just in a department that's steeped in the tradition and history that you guys are, and yet to be modern and current today, and continually to push the standard. I think matters, Chief. What's next for you before as we wrap? What's next for you? Anything exciting from Mobile or yourself coming up?
1: Yeah, no, great. We just annexed in a portion of the city. We got a little bit bigger, but you know, I'm really excited. We you know, rise class one fire department, hmm. and uh, our men and women just got. CAS accreditation for our ambulance service. We run 11 ambulances every day, ALS ambulances. And then we go before the commission August 30th, and we should be getting fire department accreditation.
0: Fantastic. And,
1: and yeah, no, it's a really big deal. And I often tell yep. our members, they say, why do we go after these things, chief? I said, because we want to be the best. We want to measure ourselves against the gold standard. And, and also, it allows... Politically, it allows me to be able to put that out there in front of them and say, "Look, I'm that telling man. you we have a great fire department, but I'm not just saying it. Somebody else says it, and so
0: the nation saying it. They're telling yeah, us that we're good. They're, yeah. they're
1: telling us that we are, and so that's why we pursue those things. It's not. I tell everybody, look, we're not about putting crowns, uh, jewels in a crown. That's not what we want to do. Crown means nothing if the person is sitting on is unhealthy you know, and, our, and I mean the person, I mean our organization, that's what I'm equating it to. And so we, have got to, we've got to do these things and measure ourselves against the gold standard, but I'm really happy, excited for the men and women, not me. Cause they did it all. Trust me. Um, a lot of these things that, that we're doing, um, and they're doing are because of just years and years and years of work. Nothing that I've specifically done. I, my job is to put the right people in the right place and they have they it. it. but um, I'm really excited for our department because they put a lot of work in every single day, man. They deserve all the accolades and the credit. We we got a good department. We really do. We got now look, we got some issues. Trust me, but we're we're trying to resolve them. We see them. We're trying to trying to address them. So
0: that's it, Chief. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time today. I know how busy you are, so taking an hour out of your day to just chat with me. But I think. This conversation was great, man. There's so many nuggets in here for people to hear and and to uh, and and to understand. I mean, you know, to sit down with a, a chief of a 500 man department, uh, men and women serving mobile, and and as the chief of that department, um, it it brings a lot of uh, it brings a lot of validation to what you guys are doing, and also how many people are dealing with similar issues in in similar sized cities and even smaller cities across the country. Um, so your information today has been fantastic and I just really appreciate the conversation. It was great. Thank you.
1: No, thank you for having me. I'd be happy to speak anytime. I love to, uh, love to, love to talk and see and talk about different issues and anybody in your audience ever have anything that, you know, we can help them with be happy to do so. And, or if they hear some of the things that we've, I mentioned that we're struggling with and you have some ideas, shoot them to us. We're, we're an open book. We believe in just, so it's good. I love it.
0: Chief Jeremy Lamy, thank you very much for joining me today, brother. I truly appreciate your time and hang out right here. I'm just going to sign off the podcast. And we're going to come right back. Okay, great. Thank Everyone, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio podcast. We're back at it, August 2023. All new episodes coming at you. Chief Jeremy Lamy. excuse me, of the Mobile Fire and Rescue Department. What a great conversation today. Do me a favor. Like I always say at the end of the podcast... Take this conversation, take it back to the firehouse and talk about it because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. We'll see you at the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.